And normally I say, turn in your Bibles, and lately it's been to 2 Corinthians, but if you would, stay in this psalm. Psalm 95 will be our passage today. Um, this, I, I know some of you get really excited about Christmas, and, and rightly, rightly so, um, and I have no problems with that. It's just that some of us get a little too excited for Christmas a little too soon. Is that fair to say? <laughs> By that response, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Well, what I wanted to do, I know we've, we've been working through 2 Corinthians, and there's uh, at least one passage left in chapter 9, and, and uh, but my heart has been lately just to, to come to the Psalms, and, and I know next Sunday is, I believe is our, if I get the dates right, is our, our Thanksgiving Sunday, but I wanted to, to take this Sunday and next Sunday and just look at a couple of Psalms, uh, and maybe through December we might do the same thing, and maybe we'll pick up 2 Corinthians in the new year. But I do want to just come to this Psalm, Psalm 95, and it's a, a call to come, to summons, as I titled it, our summons to worship. And we'll look at this one this Sunday, and Lord willing, we'll look at Psalm 100 next Sunday, so I'm leaning that way as we think about Thanksgiving. But this is really you know, the heart of the Christian, right, is to come on the Lord's Day and worship. And the Psalm, as we've just read it, I mean, he puts us in a, a decision mode, Right? Uh, he reminds us of, of who God is. He unfolds these wonderful truths about the rock of our salvation, how our God is a great God, a great king, how he's the creator, he's a shepherd. And then he comes to this moment where he says, today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And I think that's very important for us. I think it's easy for us to, to go through life and not even realize that our heart might be a little calloused, and we might lose sight of the, the majesty and might of our God. And we are humans, and the Israelites were humans, and, and he's writing not just for them, he's writing for us. The Hebrew writer grabs this psalm, places it in chapter 3 through chapter 4, and addresses it to the church. And I think it's easy for us to just lose sight and, and realize that, man, we are his creation. We are the sheep of his hand. You are not an accident. And often in life, we may walk through situations where we just simply go, Lord, where are you? What did you do? And really what we're saying, if we're honest with ourselves, is how come you're not loving me the way I think you should be loving me? How come I don't have, you know, what I think I need I have, right? Or, or should have, rather. This psalmist kind of deals with that, and he deals with our heart. And, and again, we see, right, in this, in this psalm, God's word is always so good, right? It is his word, and it reveals our heart, and it shows us for who we are. Because every one of us, I mean, the word is only going to move us into one or two places. Either this morning we are here, and we are saying, he's the rock of my salvation. Where all I have is Christ, right? That's not just a song, that's your confession, or we're struggling this morning and our hearts are growing a little bit hard. And the psalmist tells us to consider and contemplate right, the tragedy of the Israelites who did not enter in to God's rest. So I set this before us this morning that it would uh, grow us and edify us. It would encourage us. It would remind us about this wonderful God we serve. 
And that we see in uh, the churches of Revelation where uh, Jesus speaks of those churches as John records it for us as he walks among his churches. And on the Lord's Day when we assemble, we know, even though we know God is ever present with us, we have his special presence on the Lord's Day. And it's easy for us to go through situations and just to forget. We serve and worship the God who actually made me. And then he bought me back the sacrifice of his son. So we want to grab a hold of these truths, let them uh, just grow inside of us, and, and to understand a little bit more so about worship and what is happening. Justin Martyr, who was executed for his trust and belief in Christ in AD 165, uh, he had this wonderful uh, statement, this understanding of worship. And he said, you know, on the day called Sunday, right, the Lord's Day, he said, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place. And the memoirs of the apostles, right, there's our New Testament reference. Or he says, or the writings of the prophets, Old Testament reference, are read as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. So what Justin Martyr is saying as we hear the word of God, as we come to worship, we are inevitably changed. We grow, we mature, we, we understand a little bit more. And the psalmist is doing that. He's telling you to think about who God is, to think about uh, where your heart is. If we're not being humble, we're being prideful. To think about the wrath and the loathing of God. So as we've read this psalm already, I won't read it again, but I do want to offer a brief prayer that the Spirit would just open this passage to us. If you would bow your heads one more time. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege and honor to open your word now. Not simply to read it, but to, Lord, I pray that um, it would just enlighten us. It would come alive. I pray your spirit would teach us and instruct us and bring us ever closer, Lord, to come and to realize when we come into your throne room of grace, the privilege and honor we have, just how great and mighty and holy you are. And, Lord, I pray that you would minister to us through your spirit that the evil one would not take, Lord, the truths of your word away. And, Lord, you would definitely get me out of the way that we would receive what you have for us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to this passage, right? And it's really as the, the psalmist begins. He begins by uh, summonsing the people, right? It was a call to worship. And often in, uh, in services, we always have, right, to, typically to begin is a call to worship. Some churches will have uh, an opening song like we do. Some will do a scripture reading or some type of uh, response reading of sorts. But there's usually a summons, right? And the psalmist is summoning us to come and to worship uh, the only true and living God. He is calling us to come and to acknowledge right? Our God is our King, that He is our Creator. We see in verse 5, He is our Shepherd. He goes through these wonderful truths, and He reminds us what this is about. 
And then he also wants us to think about, right, as I mentioned earlier, uh, what happens. You know, does God accept our worship if we're just going through the motion? Now, I understand you are human, right? I am one too. That's why I can say with confidence I understand that. But we go through life and we go through situations where it is difficult to raise our voice, to lift our eyes, or we feel the weight of our sin, or maybe we feel the weight of uncertainty. But this psalm, no doubt, is not written haphazardly. It is written in such a way that regardless of what we're going through, that you and I would be reminded that God is who God says he is. And that we are to hear his word, we're to think about his word, and, and to come and worship with reverence, with humility, when we are to act accordingly. We are to have a heart that praises God. We are to have a heart that is submissive to God and a heart that is desiring and obeying God. So I have just three simple points, and um, we'll get through them when we get through them, right? Let's just leave it at that. But my first point is simply this. Worship is a summons to enter God's presence. This is what he's calling us to. He says, oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Now, these verbs, I want you to know, they are, they are like uh, exuberant. Right? He's not holding back. He's saying, come. Right? He says, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with the psalms. Why? Why should we do that? For the Lord is, excuse me, is a great God and a great king above all gods. In whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it, is, it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, God has created, right? He is the creator. He's created everything. And so to, to call this summons, this worship, is to come back and to say, look, you should be coming right into the, the presence of God with God's people on the Lord's day when they assemble together with shouts of joy. I mean, the psalmist is saying, hey, make the journey, right? I mean, in essence, uh, we see the word come multiple times. We see it three times in these six verses, and each time it has a different meaning. Even though it's in our English it's translated just come, uh, the first one simply means, hey, hey get out of the house, right? Get in the car and come to church, right? I mean, was, let's go with that's not in the Hebrew there, but right, so you get the idea. Make a travel, right? Get going. On Sunday, it's not a day to be home. It's a day to be with God's people. Come together. And so I like to, as I read the, the passages of Scripture in my own study, I ask questions, why? What is it, you know, what's the point here? Well, this psalmist is clear, right? Why should you make the travel? Because God is the rock of your salvation. Right out of the gate. He is the one who has redeemed you. And so the psalmist says, come, right? Brothers, sisters, come. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And so the congregation is to be jubilant. Make a joyful noise. Have you thought lately about your redemption? Have you thought about your testimony? 
Have you had a thought lately about how at one point in your life you were running to hell as fast as you could and you didn't know it? And yet this God of, of grace and mercy has redeemed you. You have come to know and believe on Christ. I don't know about you, but that's worth shouting about. Amen. From here on out, I'll just cue Susie, right? <laughs> He's the rock of our salvation. He is a refuge, a fortress. He's a defender, a deliverer, a strength, a security. I mean, this God just doesn't save you. I've said this many times. He just doesn't say, hey, look, let me redeem them with the blood of Christ and then turn around and go, so, okay, good luck, right? No, he's intimately involved in your life. So the psalmist says, come, and you got to come. You shouldn't be sitting at home on the Lord's Day. Come. I know there's, there's situations in life and things, but it should be the norm for God's people to assemble on his day to say, man, you redeemed this wretch. I was blind, but you gave me sight. I have reasons in which to lift my voice, even though I am unworthy. The psalmist says, look, he is the rock of your salvation. He tells us because God is worthy. Come, as he says in verse 2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Here a different understanding of the word is to come. It simply means to stand in front of him. Come, stand in front of his presence. Stand in front of God and do this with a heart of thanksgiving. Let us shout, right? Us, brothers, sisters, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. William Perkins likes to say when you're praying, pray God's word. He loves to hear his word back to him. I Hint, I believe the psalmist is hinting at come and sing his psalms. He's worthy. We are to come before him with thanksgiving. We're to address him with a heart that says, Lord, thank you. I acknowledge there's nothing in me that makes me right with you. There's nothing that I could do that would earn this, uh, this salvation that you've lavishly poured upon me. So I come, and I lift my life, and I open my mouth, and I simply sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I simply sing, all I have is Christ. You've given him to me. I simply sing, he'll hold me fast. The Hebrew writer says it like this, right? For us New Testament church people, through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Isn't it wonderful as you think about this, right? The psalmist is unfolding these attributes and these names of God. He's just unfolding who he is. When's the last time you began a prayer by just thinking about all the things that God is? I mean, think about his attributes. Can you list them in your mind? Can you begin to think of the different names that reveal an element of who he is? I mean, the psalmist is not going, he's not exhaustive here by no means, but he's hinting at all these things. Come, he's worthy. Come with thanksgiving. Let your mouths be open. Right? I think you should just make it a, a, a 
a drive in your worship to sing louder than the person next to you. I always joke about when we were in Oklahoma, there were some, some grandmothers, some widowers, and uh, they would always sit together. And I, always, I knew them as Granny Howell and Grandma Rose. I mean, I, they weren't a relation, but that's how I knew them. Her first, first name was Grandma, right? Or Granny. And these three ladies would sit together, and, and on Sunday, they would be worshiping. Tears down their face. They would sing. I mean, there was that moment of like, no rock's going to stand in my place. I mean, I was convicted about it. Man, do I worship like that? They were thankful. So I think on Sundays, we need to come, lift our lives. We need to realize, as James says, that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Are you breathing today? Oh, that's okay. We've got reason now already, right? We're just that. To worship. And it comes down from the Father of lights, as James says, with whom there is no variation or shadow or shifting shadow. So the psalmist is saying he is worthy. Come and sing to him. In verses 3 through 5, we see that because God alone is our Lord. He is the great king, the true God. I mean, these are the the words as he unfolds this for us. He says, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. There is no other. Verse 4, he says, in whose hand are the depths of the earth? The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. Or it is, excuse me, it was he who made it. And his hands formed the dry land. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There's no other. None other. And there will never be another. We see the word Yahweh, right? When in your translations, you may have Yahweh in there, but it's the Lord. It is uh, the name that God wants to be known. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. He is our God. And it is this God that we have entered into covenant with. Jesus, uh, you know, on the last Sunday of the month when we take communion, has said, right, this is the covenant in my blood. We are in covenant with this God. He's the creator and the sustainer. He's created the heavens and the earth. He has placed everything in its place. Last weekend, I had uh, the joy of celebrating my mom's 80th uh, birthday and the family and my siblings and their spouses. We got together and got to enjoy just time together. But it was uh, even a greater blessing being by the ocean. And it was even a greater blessing that the house we got to use just had to walk across the street and down some steps and you were on the beach. But there's these moments, right, as we look upon the creation and think the ocean is so beautiful and the mountains. And yet, how much more does he love you? He formed them. He made us. And see, here's the point. I think we have to look back upon this, this understanding as the psalmist is calling the people to come together, but yet they could not come into the Holy of Holies as Old Testament believers. They had, that was reserved for the, for the priests. They would stand outside. And yet today as a New Testament church, because Christ has come, we have a standing invitation every Sunday to come into the presence of this God. 
that we can lift our voices and cast our cares, that we can come with vulnerability and our tears and all the, the wretchedness or the brokenness of our lives and know that he will, he will love us, he will forgive us, he will redeem us, he will keep us. That often, right, we might choose football over assembling. Now, it's good that we worship privately, no doubt, right? We want to do that throughout the week. But as we look at this passage that attaches this wonderful truth, right, of entering into God's holiness, we also see that it's a call to not forsaking the assembling together. And the passage I'm speaking about is Hebrews 10. If you would simply turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, and we'll look at verses just uh, 19 through 25. Hebrew writer says this, Therefore, brethren, right, speaking to the church, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great, high, excuse me, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here we have, as a New Testament church, here's the passage, we can with confidence enter into the holy place. We get to come where only the priests could go of the Old Testament. And the Hebrew writer places this and says, this is not just for your private worship. It's for the assembling. When you assemble, we enter together before the Lord. This is the summons. God calls us on the Lord's day to come and enter into worship. Come, right, with hearts that are ready to worship Come, right, with a desire filled with gratitude that he has redeemed me. He has purchased me. Come with an, a full expression of a grateful heart. This is what he's done. This is who he is. This is what he will do. Sing, right, with, with a loud voice. The Lord deserves our very best. Here is the start of worship. Be mindful of who he is. The psalmist from there moves from uh, simply saying, look, it's, it's a call, it's a summons to enter God's presence. And then verses 6 through the second part of 7 uh, is simply to humble ourselves. Worship is not just singing, is it? It's coming and humbling ourselves. He says, beginning in verse 6, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. 
So now we see the third word, come, right? We've seen it to get off the couch on Sunday morning and come to church. We've seen it come before his presence. And now we simply say, come, and here's the posture of worship. So worship is not, regardless of what you might think about it, it's not about what you like or what you want. It's not about a certain number of hymns or modern hymns or choruses or how fast or slow Right? It's about truth. It's about who God is and what God desires. I love this quote. I read it earlier this week. I thought it was really good by the famous author Unknown. And he says, We don't worship what should be used, and we don't use what should be worshiped. Often we've reversed those two things. We miss sight of it. And yet the worship, the call, right, is to come and humble ourselves before this great God. It's kind of hard to do that when you're sitting back and critiquing, well, this song isn't the way I want it. We're all human. I'm stepping on everyone's toes. It should be built on truth, the true. This song declare the greatness and might of our God. Is it true? That should be our number one concern. And why is that? Because you, like me, have come to Calvary. And we've had a hard time lifting our eyes to that scene. We've bowed our heads. Just like the tax collector Jesus spoke of in Luke 18. We beat our chest and we said, Lord, I am unfit and unworthy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's Christ who has redeemed us. See, Calvary humbles us. None of us come to Calvary and, and walk away going, I'm so glad I have something to add to this. And so the psalmist hits at this posture of worship, doesn't he? It's a posture of worship. It demonstrates our humility. Now, the word itself means physically kneeling down, bowing down, right? Now, we, we don't necessarily always do those things, but we have a heart that is kneeling, a heart that is yielding. So the psalmist says, look, when you come before this great God who has made you, look at the words he says. He says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He's your creator. He's my creator. I mean, right there, we have to realize that every life now has value, doesn't it? It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your social economic. It doesn't matter. And he's made you for a purpose. God's word says that he has set in front of each and every one of us good works. In front of you. In front of me. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question. The first question, a part of this catechism, says, what is the chief end of man? What a good question. And has a very simple answer to enjoy God and glorify him forever. Enjoy God and glorify Him forever. It's hard and difficult to enjoy God and glorify Him if we're frustrated through worship. If worship now has something that needs to be spoken about, well, that's something different. But if it's simply coming and going, that hymn was not fast enough or too slow or whatever. It's difficult to come with a humble spirit. 
Too often in our worship, we go and pick churches, and this is true to society, true to so what we see. We'll, we'll choose things based on what makes us happy, what makes us feel good, right? The, the, the worship is, is hopping and rolling and going and gunning and whatever word you want to put there. Uh, and, and the pastor doesn't preach too long. He's just right, and he doesn't really stir the pot too much because I don't want to feel too much weight of that. And it goes on and so forth, right? We've, we've lived life a little bit. But what's most important and what we miss sight of is that you are a soul, and you're going to spend, right, a moment in front of the, the throne of God. And you'll have to give an account. And you can't lean upon your pastor or your parents or the guy who sat down on the pew over here. You can't get in there on a gray area, right? You can't go, look, there's an Achilles heel over there. If you let this guy in, I'm good. Well, my worship wasn't there or whatever it might excuse you might conjure up. He is pure light, and all of it, right, is revealed. So we should stop playing games and realize I'm standing on the Lord's day with God's people in front of my maker. If anyone knows you better than yourself, it would be your maker. But this is the blessing. God desires, I believe, wholeheartedly that his children would enjoy his creation, enjoy, right, to have a, a true satisfaction in life, to be happy, to be fulfilled. But the Lord is going to do that in him, in his purposes for your life, not in our own selfish pursuits. So the psalmist says, come, you stand. Right? It's in humility before your maker. He also says some great words, right? He says he is our God, he is our shepherd. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Again, right? Possession, our God, our shepherd. Now, Jacob, I believe, was the first one to describe or reference God as a shepherd, right? It's uh, anthropomorphism where we start to understand God's activity through human means. On this, no doubt, right, has worked its way through. You think of Psalm 23, right, David's psalm, and you think throughout Scripture, and it's, but it totally finds its crescendo in Christ, the, the epitome of the good shepherd. Listen to what Scripture speaks of him. Uh, Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That is John 10, 11. You know, scripture also speaks of him as the great shepherd, Hebrews 13, 21, now uh, the God of peace who brought us, excuse me, brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Uh, Peter refers to him as the chief shepherd, right? And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, 4. So just as we come as a, a summons to humility to understand what's happening, we also realize who we stand in front of. He not only made me, he's redeemed me, and he leads my life. As our shepherd, we can make a, a lengthy list, I hopefully you can, of the areas in which he has led your life, and areas where he has provided for you, your family, the areas where he's met the need that you were praying about. Areas where you felt refreshed because you were reminded that he's not absent. 
moments in your life where, where you simply cease to, to uh, trust or have those moments of insecurity where he floods himself in and he protects you or the moments where he holds you. The moments where you're reminded, right? I, I don't have much, but I have Christ. I mean, all of it, it just unfolds in our life. As we begin to think on those things, as we give thought to this, right? I think for each of us, it's not hard to bow our heads in humility and our hearts to humble ourselves. Just what the psalmist is saying. He made you. He leads you. And I believe, and I think you would agree with me, that you know, praise that, that is not offered from a heart that is just simply broken, or humbled, or submissive, we might say. If it's not offered from that state, I would imagine that the Lord is not receiving it. And that's really what this, this psalmist brings us to. I mean, you walk with the Lord, you know the Lord, but he brings us, doesn't he, to a crossroads. This is my last point. Contemplate God's voice. Right? Worship is a summons, should have put to, contemplate God's voice and to obey. So he says today, right? After all of that, after all that, he made you, he redeemed you, he leads you. He's your God. Possession, I have him. And he says today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. Right? And we'll talk about this here in a moment. This is Exodus 17, right? They're not far into the Exodus. Verse 10, for 40 years, listen to what he says, I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their hearts. They do not know my ways. Their affections are for themselves, not God. Then he concludes, therefore I swore in my anger, they, truly they shall not enter into my rest. So the psalmist walks us through, right? And I think he understands our struggle, doesn't he? It's not just simply come into worship, right? It's come and be reminded this awesome God who's made you and who's redeemed you and he leads you. And then he says, look, what happens if you come and, and maybe your heart is far or it's calloused and you're not worshiping? I mean, we're going to go in one of two ways. We're either going to have a heart of submission that bows down and says, he made me. Lord, I've come on your day to lift my life. I am unfit and worthy, but yet because of Christ, you've redeemed me. Right? So you're stuck with me, God, right? We can almost say that. It's either that or we have a heart of pride. Where we come and say, you haven't, where were you in this time? Where have you been? Where, this situation, do you not know what I was going through? That hits home, doesn't it? We see in David's life, the, the, many of his psalms that just begin with that question. Why? Right? I always think of Psalm 13. Why? Where are you? Do you even care if my eyes go dim and I die? And in six verses, as he begins with that, he cries out and then he starts to pray. 
And then by verses 5 and 6, David is worshiping. Why? Because he moved past that question of why and where are you into what are you showing me? How are you demonstrating your glory? What are you working in me? I know you're shaping me to the image of your son. That's what Romans 8 teaches us. To the image of Christ, oh Lord, how is this shaping me? What area do I need to, to trust more? And the psalmist gives us, I mean, great instructions. And I think it's quite simple. Right? I mean, in essence, he says, uh, don't follow the faithless. Don't follow the disobedient. Look at the example of the Israelites. Don't do that. Right? I mean, that's what he's saying. For us, we could say, hey, look at the culture. Uh, don't do that. Right? If anything outside of, of God's word, he's simply saying, don't do that. Don't follow anything or anyone save God. I mean, it's really that simple. I mean, we could ask the questions in your own life. What are the greatest influences? What do you watch? What do you read? What, what helps you navigate this world and this culture? Is it what's on the news or, or is it what's in God's word? Right? There's the crossroads. We're going to go one of two ways. It doesn't mean we don't listen to the news. We're talking about right, the influences and how they direct my life. So the psalmist is pressing us. He's saying, look, you have to come and understand who God is and then implement the truths of his word. That's what he's saying. And he does this by saying, but look, consider and contemplate right, these folks who just did it the wrong way. And contemplate Israel's rebellion. Right, and this is where he begins. Today, if, if you would hear his voice, do, do not harden your hearts. And then he goes on to say, as Meribah and in the days of Massa in the wilderness. Right? He equates this to testing. They tested me. They tried me, even though they saw my works. I mean, that's why I guess we could, you know, when people say experience drives the, the, the course of life, I know by experience, and they didn't, right? They saw it and experienced it, still didn't trust or know it. But what's interesting is these words. So in my translation, Meribah, and Massa have some meanings, right? It's just not a, a place or a location. Meribah means rebellion. And maybe your translation might say that. And Massa means test or trial. And it's taken from Exodus chapter 17, where the Israelites are thirsty. Have you ever been thirsty? They're quite thirsty, right? Let me, you don't have to turn there. Let me walk you through this exchange. 17, Exodus 17, verse 2, Moses says these words. And you know this is a bad day when you hear these words. He says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? They respond, right? Verse 3, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, our children, our livestock with thirst? Right? Imagine the finger pointing, right? And then here's, listen to, here's Moses' cry to God. Right? This is the following verse. Moses cries out, what shall I do with these people? And then he says, a little more and they will stone me. Right? They're pretty upset. So God, full of grace and mercy and patience, no doubt, right? Verse 5, he tells Moses, grab your staff, the one that you led them out with, go to the rock at Horeb, 
hit the rock. Moses responds to the people as he hits the rock and he tells them these words. Exodus 17, verse 7. He named the place Massa and Meribah, um, excuse me, Meribah, because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So here's what we see, right? He comes and says, Look, you need to think about, contemplate the rebellion. Now, it's, it's tempting for us this morning to say, well, I would never say that about the Lord, Pastor. I would never say I'm testing him or questioning him. <clears throat> and you know your own heart. I mean, where have your thoughts been when we're assembled and worshiping? Where are the moments where you have questioned and doubted? Where are those struggles, right? That doesn't mean we don't, we're perfect. That's not what I'm saying. As we walk through life, we will walk through difficulties, and the Lord will walk us through difficulties. But as we walk through those things, it's coming back and trusting and knowing that his way is the right way. It is a higher way. It is a better way. That's exactly what he tells them. To God, God desires that you would love him more. In verses 10 and 11, he says, For 40 years I loathed that generation. Why? Because they err in their heart. Right? They, God brought them out of bondage. And what did they want to do? It was better back in bondage. At least we had cucumbers. Some of you don't like cucumbers. Like, yeah, they wanted cucumbers. We wanted vegetables. They err in their heart. Their affections are not for the Lord. Their affections are for themselves. And so he says, they don't know my ways. Therefore, they will not enter into my rest. So God was angry with them for 40 years. There's the crossroads. Which way do you want to go this morning? Canaan was a picture of heaven for them, right? A rest for them. But they did not enter into it. And they got to walk around the desert for a while. For us this morning, brothers and sisters, I simply want to encourage you as we come. I mean, all our understanding, I love how the, the psalmist is, is just unfolding the greatness of God. Bring all of your understanding and your, your theology of, of the greatness of God when we come to worship. Don't let it ever feel like this is just another Sunday, but it is this Sunday in which I get, to, I get to assemble with God's people, and I get to come before him into his presence, and I get to proclaim the greatness with thanksgiving because he took time to send his son into this world to redeem a wretch like me. And I get to sing my voice and lift my voice in my life with my brothers and sisters who are saying it is God's grace, it's his mercy. None of us deserve it, and yet God has loved us this way. And so the psalmist is, in essence, is saying, do not delay implementing God's word. Don't simply walk away and go, well, shoot, uh, I might think about this later. Uh, you know, uh, my thoughts are, are what's happening later. No, don't walk away and forget. Implement, right? There is a crossroads. 
I think it's tempting for us. We want to, to maybe, maybe you do or don't here, but we want, for me, it's like I love to just wrap a happy ending to this psalm. Right, we come to this, it begins with the greatness of God and it says, you know, it ends with truly they shall not enter into my rest. And you just want to go, but those who, right, who believe, who love, who serve, who worship, they'll come, right? The psalmist doesn't give us that. I mean, really, this psalmist is saying worship or perish. Sing for joy, the rock of your salvation, or grumble about your trials. Those are the options. You go with the first option. Shout joyfully the rock of our salvation. You'll enjoy God's rest, both now and eternally. If you harden your heart, if you're hearing his voice and hardening your heart, right, the psalmist says you're not going to. The challenge for us today, the pivotal uh, line here out of this psalm is today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Worship, right? As we assemble in the Lord's day, it's a summons to enter God's presence. He desires that you would come. Lift your voice. Sing with a loud voice. Sometimes, right, our worship has tears. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we walk through difficult things. Our God is good. It's a summons to come and humble yourself. Lord, I want to be closer to you. I desire to walk after you. I desire to follow you, not my own way. And worship is a summons to contemplate God's voice his word, implement it, follow it, obey it, be changed by it. That we too, like Justin Martyr could say, true worship will invariably lead us to the imitation of these good things. This is what we do when we assemble. This is the joy and privilege we have to call upon his great name. To know that our God fills all space and time, yet is beyond all space and time. And yet he is mindful of us. Right? The little congregation in Winton, USA, or Atwater, USA, whichever one you want to claim. <clears throat> He's mindful of our hurts, our wounds, our struggles. But he is good. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege and honor of worship. I pray, Lord, we would, we would not be those who play at our worship. And yet, God, I know we, we go through difficulties of life that weigh on us. Sometimes we, all we see is the hurts and the wounds. And so I, I pray, Lord, for every soul here this morning that, Lord, you would just simply make us more mindful of what we do when we assemble. The privilege to come together the encouragement I know I receive when I hear my brothers and sisters singing, even when they might be going through a difficult time. Lord, we know that you, you are good. You are our God. 
You are our shepherd. We are the sheep of your hand. And you didn't leave us unto ourselves. You've bought us back the blood of Christ. And as the good shepherd, you will lead our lives. Even in moments where we're, we're unsure or uncertain, we trust in you. This is your world. You've made it. You've placed everything for its place and positioned it as you desired. And you have brought us together as redeemed brothers and sisters that we would with one voice worship you. Thank you, Lord, that we enjoy your presence on the Lord's Day. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would be reminded how great and awesome you are. Let us be overwhelmed by that. And I pray, again, that the evil one would not take, Lord, the, the, the truths of your word away from us, but let them grow deep, that we are a peculiar people. We are different than the world because we have been redeemed by Christ and we worship the true living God. And I pray that as we do that, Lord, let us, let us be a, a light that shines into a dark, a dark community. And let us, Lord, have a, a greater love and passion and reverence for you than have any type of fear or, or concern of those in the world. Let, Lord, not those things hinder our worship. But let us have our, our eyes fixed upon Christ and upon you. And we thank you, Lord, and we pray this in the awesome and wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.